Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In today's episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our series of sermons where we've been exploring some of the events that take place during Holy Week. And we've been exploring these events because Holy Week was one of the most difficult times in the entire history of our faith. So by exploring the events that take place during that week, we can learn how we can follow God when we face difficult times in our lives today. And in this week's sermon, we're going to be exploring how the crowd reacts to Jesus on Good Friday versus the way that a man named Simon of Cyrene reacts to Jesus. And we'll realize that we have a choice whenever we face difficult times. We can react to Jesus the way that the crowd does, or we can react the way that Simon of Cyrene does. So let's get right into this week's episode. You could hear them coming from a mile away. The steady click of horses' hooves traveling the well-traveled road leading up to the gates of the city. The continuous thud of soldiers' feet as they march together in perfect unison. The drummers drumming to keep the whole procession on rhythm. The sound of this event alone would have been enough to draw people from every walk of life across the entire city away from their normal routine. But the noise, the noise was just the beginning of this spectacle. So as the crowds would have made their way to the city streets, starting to line them, they would have been craning their necks and straining their eyes to try to see the approaching arrival of this army. And as they looked out, they would have had to shield their eyes to protect them from the sun that was reflecting back at them. For the sun truly glinted off of the golden eagles that were mounted on tops of poles and the freshly polished swords and shields that the soldiers carried, as well as the armor and just other accoutrements that the army had with them that day. But none of these things from all of the soldiers that were riding on horseback in the cavalry, to the foot soldiers that were causing dust to swirl up beneath their feet as they marched into town, to the sounds of the drummers drumming that was ringing throughout the entire city, to the smell of the leather armor that would have permeated everyone's nose. None of these things could begin to compare to the true star of this show, the reason for this procession in the first place. So, who was the star of the show, and what was the reason for this procession? Well, the man who had been appointed to rule over this land by none other than Caesar himself was arriving into the holy city of Jerusalem. So all of this pomp and all of this circumstance, this whole procession was because Pontius Pilate had just arrived in Jerusalem. Uh, now, even though Pilate had only been the governor of Jerusalem for a couple of years at the point when this particular story takes place, it would have already been a regular sight for the people of Jerusalem to see Pilate and his army arriving into town. And that's because every time there was a religious festival in Israel, Pilate would come to Jerusalem. But Pilate didn't come to Jerusalem because he wanted to celebrate along with the people of Israel. Pilate didn't come because he was curious and wanted to see what was happening. Pilate didn't come because he wanted to be a part of the party. And he didn't come because he was a devout Jew who wanted to practice his faith. Now, Pilate came to the city of Jerusalem whenever there was a religious festival in Israel on official business for the Roman Empire. He was there to remind all of Israel of the power and the might of Rome. He was there to maintain law and order. 
He was there to make sure that any dreams of a rebellion were squelched before they could even begin. And that's what had brought Pilate to Jerusalem the day that this story takes place. Pilate had come to Jerusalem during a time of year when tensions between the people of Israel and the Roman Empire always ran their highest. He had come as the people of Israel were getting ready to celebrate the anniversary of a time when their ancestors had been freed from captivity and overthrown an oppressive government. Pilate came to Jerusalem as the people were preparing to celebrate the Passover, the official beginning of Israel's exodus from Egypt. And he had come to Jerusalem to make sure that there weren't any wannabe Moseses in the crowd during the Passover who had any delusions of setting their people free. But little did Pilate know as he came into Jerusalem from the west that day that there was someone else who would be entering Jerusalem from the east that was far greater than Moses. But this other man's entrance into Jerusalem was nothing like the procession for this Roman official. Instead of arriving into Jerusalem like Pilate would have on the back of a, of a stallion, magnificent stallion coming into town, this other man entered into Jerusalem riding on the back of a borrowed donkey. Instead of having a procession that was marked by glimmering gold and shining silver like Pilate's, this man's entrance would have been marked by people cutting off branches from nearby palm trees and taking their own coats off to lay them on the ground before him. Instead of entering in through the western gates of Jerusalem, where everyone would see him approaching from miles away, this other man came in from the east, riding down from the Mount of Olives, where not very many people would have noticed his arrival. But it's not the opulent arrival of an important political figure that we remember in the days leading up to Easter every single year. It's this other man's arrival. Of course, this other man is Jesus. And we've been talking about his arrival in the city of Jerusalem, an event that we have come to call the triumphant entry. And of course, I know that we just talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem a couple of weeks back when we started into the sermon series exploring events from Holy Week. But since today is Palm Sunday, the official anniversary of when Jesus actually came into Jerusalem, I think it's well worth our time to spend at least a few minutes revisiting the story today. But unlike we did a few weeks ago when we explored this story from the Gospel of Mark, I want us to revisit the story from a different perspective. Today I want us to take a look at the story of Jesus' triumphal entry from the Gospel of Luke. And just as a reminder for you, we call these books Gospels because the word Gospel means good news. And the book of Luke is going to tell us the good news of Jesus. That's why we call it a gospel, just like Mark and the books of Matthew and John, for that matter, because all of these books are essentially biographies of Jesus. And if we look together in Luke chapter 19, we're going to find the story of Jesus' triumphal entry. We'll start reading together in verse 29. Here's what Luke writes. As Jesus came to Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you are untying it, just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, 
Why are you untying the colt? They replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As, he rode, as Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Now, although the events of this day took place nearly 2,000 years ago, what we can sometimes forget is that event was actually a 1,000 years in the making. The people of Israel had been waiting for the heir to David's throne, the one person who could fill the shoes of their greatest king for nearly a millennia. And now Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, and he does it the exact way that the prophet Zechariah predicted hundreds of years beforehand when Zechariah wrote this. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, that must have been quite the sight to see. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey as crowds celebrated his arrival. And the truth is, I think that this has to be one of those historical events that all of us kind of wish we could have been a part of. And from what the Gospel of Luke tells us, it drew quite a crowd. But, of course, it should have drawn quite a crowd because remember what I just told you. This event was a thousand years in the making. So the people of Israel had been waiting a thousand years for the rightful heir to David's throne to come into Jerusalem. The people of Israel had been waiting a thousand years for someone to come and to restore the kingdom of Israel to its golden era like it was under David. So the people of Israel, they had longed for this day. They had longed for the day when their nation would be united again. They had longed for the day when all 12 tribes would stand together is one. They had longed for the day when they would have a mighty military again that would not just be able to stand up to the Roman Empire, but be able to defeat them once and for all as well. The people of Israel had been longing for a day when they would be set free and their nation could prosper again. And as Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, it looked like that day had finally come. So what do the people do? They celebrate, of course. And we learn a lot about the people of Israel, and we see a lot of their history as we watch how they celebrated in this passage from the Gospel of Luke. We see the people of Israel celebrating like the Messiah has just come back from a triumphant military campaign, and they celebrate this the exact same way that the Greeks and Romans would have celebrated a military victory. They celebrate by waving those palm branches in the air, for everyone to see. And they also celebrate like their own ancestors would have celebrated when King David returned to Jerusalem after a successful military campaign. Their ancestors celebrated by singing songs of thanksgiving, which is exactly what the people of Israel did in the story we just read. And the people of Israel, they celebrate by doing one of the strangest things that I have ever heard of doing in a celebration. They celebrate by taking their coats off and laying them down on the ground in front of Jesus as he comes riding into town. But why did they do that? 
I mean, the only time that we ever see somebody taking off their coat and lying it on the ground in 21st century America is if we are watching some cheesy Hallmark movie where a distinguished gentleman removes his overcoat and places it upon a puddle so his beloved doesn't have to step foot in the water. But that's definitely not what's happening in the story we just read from the Gospel of Luke. Instead, what's happening in the Gospel of Luke is the people of Israel are replaying an age-old scene from their history, a scene that we find in 2 Kings chapter 9. And in 2 Kings chapter 9, the leaders of the nation of Israel have come together to pledge their loyalty and to promise their service to Jehu, a man who had just been anointed king by Elisha. And they pledge their loyalty and they promise their service to Jehu by taking off their coats and laying them on the steps before him. So as we read this passage from the Gospel of Luke, we see the people of Israel giving thanks that their Messiah has finally come. We see the people of Israel preparing and celebrating the victories that they anticipate their new king will bring them in battle. We see the people of Israel pledging their loyalty and promising their service to the king they've been waiting for so long for. But of course, that's just what happens on the Sunday of Holy Week. We all know that things are going to look very different come Friday. It's actually what we talked about last Sunday here at Melbourne Heights. The things that happen in Luke 19 that we just read about are very different than what takes place on the Friday of Holy Week. And if we keep reading in the Gospel of Luke together and skip ahead a few chapters to Luke 23, I can show you what I mean. So let's take a look at Luke 23 together. We'll start reading in verse 13. Here's what Luke writes. Then Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. He said to them, You brought this man before me as one who was misleading the people. I have questioned him in your presence and found nothing in this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges you have brought against him. Neither did Herod, because Herod returned him to us. He's done nothing that deserves death. Therefore, I'll have him whipped, then let him go. But with one voice they shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that had occurred in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. They kept shouting out, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, Pilate said to them, why? What wrong has he done? I've found no legal basis for the death penalty in this case. Therefore, I will have him whipped, then let him go. But they were adamant, shouting their demand that Jesus be crucified. Their voices won out. Pilate issued his decision to grant their request. He released the one they asked for, who had been thrown into prison because of a riot and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Now, as we read this passage in Luke 23, I can't help but wonder what on earth happened over the course of five days' time that would cause a crowd that shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna for Jesus on Sunday, to call out, Crucify him, crucify him on Friday. I can't help but wonder what would have caused the palm branches that were waving through the air on Sunday to be replaced by a whip slicing through the air on Friday. 
I can't help but wonder what would have caused a crowd that was willing to lay down their coats before Jesus on Sunday to demand that Jesus lay down his life for them on Friday. I can't imagine what would have caused this crowd that greeted Jesus like a conquering king on Sunday to treat him like a criminal on Friday. But over the last few weeks at Melbourne Heights, we have been exploring some of the events that take place between that Sunday and that Friday. And apparently some of the events that took place during those five days during Holy Week were enough to convince the crowd that Jesus wasn't the Messiah they had been expecting. Jesus wasn't the Messiah they had been expecting. The people of Israel had been expecting a Messiah that would come and run the Roman Empire out of Israel once and for all. But the only people that Jesus ran out of Jerusalem during Holy Week were his fellow Israelites who were exchanging money and selling animals inside of the temple. The people of Israel would have expected their Messiah to come and encourage them and demand that they overthrow the Roman Empire. But instead, when Jesus was asked about taxes during Holy Week, he told his people to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. The people of Israel, they would have expected that their Messiah would come and challenge them to lay down their lives for the nation of Israel. But instead, Jesus comes and challenges them to give their all for the kingdom of God. The people of Israel would have expected their Messiah to come and tell them that there was an end to their suffering and that they would be entering into a new life as individuals and as a nation. But instead, Jesus comes and tells them that there is more pain and suffering ahead, and he alludes to his own death. So this crowd goes from celebrating Jesus on Sunday to treating him like a scapegoat on Friday. This crowd goes from treating Jesus like a conquering king on Sunday to treating him like a common criminal on Friday. This crowd goes from treating Jesus like the one who would save them on Sunday to making sure that he was the one that would die for them on Friday. And it's all because the people of Israel didn't understand that God's kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. But there was one person in the crowds during Holy Week who seemed to understand that. One person who seemed to understand what the true kingdom of God is really about. One person who understood that it is all about God and not all about us. One person who knew that God gave everything for him and that God asked that we give it all back to him in return. And that man's name was Simon. And as we continue reading in Luke, we'll see Simon's story. So let's pick back up in Luke 23, verse 26. Here's what Luke writes. As they led Jesus away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. They put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, the truth is that we don't know a great deal about Simon. As a matter of fact, we only know a few things about him. We know that Simon's story is recorded for us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we know that all three of these Gospels tell us that Simon is the one who carried Jesus' cross for him to Golgotha. 
And that little bit of information alone is enough to tell us a whole lot about Simon. And it tells us that Simon is very different from the rest of the people in the crowd. Because the rest of the people in the crowd, when Jesus started talking to them about things like suffering and sacrifice, they turned their backs on Jesus and walked away from him. But Simon... Simon literally takes up Jesus' cross for him, suffering the weight of it himself as he carries it to the place where Jesus will be crucified. And in that moment, Simon fulfills the criteria that Jesus sets for anyone and everyone who wants to follow him when Jesus tells us that if we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross if we're going to follow him. So that's the first thing that we know about Simon. The second thing that we know about Simon is that he is from a place called Cyrene. But what on earth does that mean to us? Well, something that we need to remember whenever we're reading the Bible is that when we run across the name of a city or a town, it meant something to the first people that would have read the Bible or heard these stories. So the name Cyrene would have meant something to the people that Luke was writing to. You know, the way to think about this is if I were to mention New York in the sermon, you might think about the Empire State Building. Or if I mention Nashville, you might think about country music. Or if I mention Bowling Green, you might think about Corvettes. Well, when Luke wrote Cyrene, the people that heard it would have known something about this town. And what they would have known about Cyrene is that it had very fertile soil. Cyrene was known for producing an abundance of grain and olive oil and vegetables and dates and fruits and thriving livestock as well. But what does that matter? Why does that matter? Well, think back a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we explored a story about a vineyard owner who had a fig tree that wasn't producing any fruit. And that vineyard owner was furious about it. Well, in the stories that we've read today about the crowds, the crowds weren't producing any spiritual fruit. But Simon, Simon is like the place that he's from. He's like the town of Cyrene. His soul is a very fertile soil, and he is going to produce an abundant fruit for God. And that leads us to the third thing that we know about Simon. We know that Simon has two sons, one named Alexander, the other named Rufus. And we know from other accounts that Alexander and Rufus are well-known in the early church community. And that leads us to assume that Simon of Cyrene was so transformed by the events that took place on Palm Sunday. He was so transformed by the events that took place on Good Friday. He was so transformed by having to carry Jesus' cross for him that he committed to following Jesus himself. And he led his family to follow Jesus as well. So as we think about the stories that we've heard today, the stories of the crowds on Palm Sunday and Good Friday and the story of Simon of Cyrene, we see two different approaches that people take when it comes to following Jesus. The first approach is the approach taken by the crowds. The crowds are eager to celebrate Jesus on Palm Sunday. The crowds are eager to treat him like he is the new king that they have been waiting for for a long, long time. The crowds are eager to pledge their loyalty and to promise their service to Jesus. But as soon as they figure out who Jesus really is, as soon as they figure out what it really takes to follow him, that it may require them to make sacrifices and to suffer, they demand that Jesus lay down his life for them. But the second way 
to follow Jesus is the way that Simon of Cyrene does. And I told you just a second ago that we find Simon's story in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the incredible thing is that in none of those stories does Simon of Cyrene ever say a word. Simon of Cyrene never praises Jesus. Simon of Cyrene never commits and celebrates to Jesus uh, like he's his newfound king. Simon of Cyrene never makes a pledge that he is going to be loyal to Jesus or promise that he will serve him. Instead, what Simon of Cyrene does is put his faith into action. He takes up that cross and he carries it for Jesus instead. So over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we have been exploring some of the stories that take place during Holy Week. And we've been doing that because Holy Week was one of the most difficult times in the history of our faith. So by exploring these stories and seeing how Jesus continued to follow God during the most difficult time in his life, we've been trying to learn how we can follow God when we face difficult times in our lives today. And I decided to end this sermon series with the story of these crowds and Simon of Cyrene. Because when it comes to following Jesus in difficult times, we all need to learn that we have a choice to make. We have a choice with whether we are going to try to follow Jesus like the crowds did or like Simon did. And we see with the crowds that as soon as the going got a little bit tough, they got going. They turned their backs on Jesus during one of the most difficult times in the history of our faith. But not Simon. Simon takes up Jesus' cross, and he follows Jesus on his way to Golgotha during what had to be the hardest time during Jesus' life on this earth. So you have to decide who you want to be like. Do you want to be like the crowds that paid lip service to following Jesus? That paid lip service to praising Jesus as their king? That paid lip service to being loyal to Jesus and serving him, but also turned their backs on him as soon as things got a little bit tough? Or do you want to be like Simon of Cyrene, who followed Jesus no matter what? Because I have to tell you, the most important thing that we can learn, the most important thing that you can learn to help you follow God when you face difficult times in your life is the lesson that we learn from Simon. If we want to follow God during the most difficult times in our life, we have to commit to following God no matter what. So the last question I want to ask you today, the last question I want to ask you in this sermon, in this sermon series is are you committed to follow Jesus no matter what? Are you committed to follow Jesus? Not just when it, you're going through a good time and it's easy to follow Jesus, but are you committed to following Jesus when the going gets tough and it's harder to follow him? My hope and my prayer for myself and for all of you is that we will all choose to be like Simon. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for these stories that we've been able to read and revisit today. We thank you for the stories that we heard of these crowds and the story that we heard of Simon of Cyrene, God. And God, my hope and my prayer is that we've all been challenged by these stories to not be like the crowd, a crowd that seemed so fickle, a crowd that seemed so excited to have Jesus as their king on Sunday but completely turned their backs on him by Friday. 
God, let each of us be committed to following you no, no matter what, just like Simon of Cyrene did, literally following Jesus on his path to Golgotha during the most difficult time in his life. Let us remain committed to you, to follow you even in the difficult times in our lives as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that you've been challenged to be like Simon, to be willing to commit to follow Jesus no matter what, because that really is the most important thing that you can do if you want to follow God in difficult times in your life today. You have to commit to following Jesus no matter what. Now, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, so we're going to be celebrating the good news of the resurrection together. You know, this is so important to us because last year, with COVID-19 and this pandemic just ramping up, it felt like we all had to miss out on Easter as church services were canceled all across the world. This Easter, more and more churches are going to be coming back and worshiping together in person, including us at Melbourne Heights. But what we need to make sure of is that we don't miss out on the message of Easter this year. So I hope that you'll come back and join us next Sunday when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you can always join us to worship online every single Sunday. We worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com. Well, I hope that you guys have a great Holy Week this week. Spend some time reflecting on what all of these events that we've explored over the last few weeks mean to us and our faith. And let's get ready to celebrate Easter together soon. So until next time, I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday for another Sermon Podcast.